Hello and welcome to Words of Wisdom, a podcast dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the Book of Proverbs. Your host is Dr. Jerry Weirwall, who will share life-giving truth from Proverbs that will help us become wise and discerning. Wisdom is a journey, and we hope you will join us for this exciting adventure. In the next several episodes, we will be focused on Proverbs chapter 5, which deals heavily with the issue of adultery and the foolishness of the one who commits that sin. The opening section of the chapter consists of the first six verses. While this section of Proverbs is couched in terms of Solomon warning his son about dangerous and seductive women, it is no less true for his daughters as well. Women need to be aware of dangerous and domineering men in the same way. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 say, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my discernment, in order that you keep discretion, and your lips guard knowledge. For the lips of the strange woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. She is sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps proceed toward Sheol. She will not consider the path of life. Her roads are unstable, yet she is not aware of it. The phrase, incline your ear to my discernment in verse 1, is similar to the wording in chapter 4, verse 20, where Solomon says, incline your ear to my sayings. The Hebrew word translated incline means to turn or to stretch out. The metaphor of turning your ear or stretching out your ear means to have a disposition or proclivity towards something. The same word is translated as directing in chapter 2, verse 2, where it reads, directing your heart to discernment. The idea represented by the metaphor is not of a single instance where the son would give his attention to his father for a moment, but that the son would develop within himself by choice, an inclination toward wisdom and the words of his father. However, this sort of attitude and desire is not automatic or simple to achieve. To have an inclination toward wisdom requires undergoing a long and deep process of transforming one's heart and reconfiguring their outlook on life. Now, someone might ask, Why does it have to be a long and deep process? Why can't I just decide that being wise is better than being foolish? Well, intellectually, it's not difficult for a person to concede that being wise is probably the better way to live one's life. But practically speaking, living wisely is not so easy to achieve because of the power of sin in our lives. We naturally don't want to do what is wise because it is often more difficult than what is foolish. A person doesn't need to be trained on how to be selfish greedy, violent, angry, deceitful, and so on. We become experts in these traits by the time we are adolescents. It takes intentional effort, however, and instruction to develop a different way of living. It is almost as if we have to reprogram our mind and heart to desire something new, to desire wisdom. This reminds me of a modern saying that most people have probably heard before. The best things in life never come easy. The point is, is that if things like wisdom were easy to achieve, then everyone would have it and would be benefiting from it. But obtaining something so valuable as wisdom is not quick and easy. It takes much time and effort to develop an ear and a heart that is inclined toward wisdom. And that is why the book of Proverbs presents wisdom as one of the most important things a person can get in life. There is no measure of effort or sacrifice of resources that can be compared with it. It is 
priceless. And we don't find a priceless treasure just lying around the house. It takes an immense amount of time and perseverance to obtain it. The same goes for obtaining wisdom. It is not a one-time choice to listen, but a lifelong journey of seeking and growing deeper in it. Now, back to the proverb. Solomon begins by exhorting his son to pay attention to my wisdom and incline your ear to my discernment. Remember from previous episodes that words like wisdom, discernment, understanding, knowledge, and prudence are often used in parallel as synonymous terms. However, they are not identical synonyms, but they convey similar ideas that are closely related to each other. The Hebrew word translated discretion here more specifically refers to careful deliberation and planning with a view toward ensuring successful outcome. In the next verse, Solomon offers the reason for why he's instructing his son to listen to him. He says that it is in order that you keep discretion and your lips guard knowledge. We have an interesting expression here. Solomon's son is to listen to his teaching so that his son's lips guard knowledge. What does it mean for a person's lips to guard knowledge? First, lips is a metonymy that refers to the act of speaking. The lips are part of a person's body that is employed in forming the sound of words when they talk. This sort of figure is a common poetic device in the book of Proverbs referring to speaking. Sometimes a proverb will mention lips, at other times uh, the person's tongue or mouth, and there are many instances of this figure that we could list. But the bigger question is, how do lips guard knowledge. This figurative expression is a Semitic way of referring to speaking only what constitutes or is informed by knowledge. And in the book of Proverbs, true knowledge is that which is derived from and in conformity with the fear of Yahweh. Any knowledge that is outside of this scope is not what Proverbs has in mind. So the son is to protect and safeguard discretion and to speak only those things which abide by knowledge and understanding that wisdom brings. The importance of the son maintaining these two virtues is now made clear by a contrast with the lips of the strange woman. Verses 3 and 4 say, For the lips of the strange woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, she is sharp as a two-edged sword. Here again, lips is a metonymy for the words that the woman speaks, as well as the word mouth in the second line of verse 3, which expresses the same idea. The woman is called strange, not because she dresses in any peculiar way, or has odd mannerisms, or doesn't live in the area. In the context of Proverbs, the strange woman is a particular designation with respect to the son. The Hebrew word translated strange means one that does not belong. The social context implies she is an Israelite neighbor, or fellow resident in the town, even though the Hebrew term is used of individuals from non-Israelite nations. Nevertheless, she is strange, not in the sense of being unfamiliar to the son, but rather being someone other than his wife. The Septuagint translates this phrase as, one who is not your own. A strange woman refers to a woman, either married or unmarried, who is not the son's wife. The son is likely married, as the chapter goes on to suggest, and therefore the woman is a stranger and does not belong to his marriage covenant, nor is she welcome in it. She is out of place. She is unknown sexually by the son, but yet she is attempting to invade and desecrate the sacredness of his marital vows and commitment by tempting him to commit adultery with her. Next, what we must take note of are the two parallel statements in verse 3 that depict the character of the woman's words. They are said to drip honey and to be smoother than oil. 
Both phrases are metaphors that describe how pleasant and enjoyable the strange woman's words can be. She speaks with enticing words that are sweet and smooth, meaning that they're charming and alluring. She flatters him and speaks in seductive ways that are meant to manipulate him into desiring her. Thus, if the son does not guard knowledge, he will be susceptible to the delightfulness of her words and will be drawn in and captivated by them. What the son may not know is the deceitfulness of the strange woman's words. They might appear so delicious like honey and pleasing to his ears like the smoothness of oil applied to the skin. But the father warns him, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. She is sharp as a two-edged sword. What initially started as delightful and satisfying will quickly fade away and turn into a miserable and wretched experience. The double metaphor of the woman being bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword depict the painful and destructive consequences that will result from getting involved with her. Wormwood is an aromatic plant renowned for its staunch bitter flavor. It is used in antithesis to honey. While the woman's delicious words might seem appealing at first, they will quickly turn sour and present a most distasteful experience. Moreover, despite her smooth words, she will end up having a sharp edge that will pierce and consume her victims like a two-edged sword. And that's not the end of it, for it goes on to say, Her feet go down to death. Her steps proceed toward Sheol. She will not consider the path of life. Her roads are unstable, yet she is not aware of it. The idea of her feet leading to death, or her steps proceeding to Sheol, that is, the grave, is a metonymy for the path or road that she is walking in life. Her feet and steps are leading toward a destination, and those who get involved with her join her on that road. They will soon find themselves at death's door, or Sheol. Lastly, the woman does not even consider the path of life. She has abandoned Yahweh and no longer lives according to his commandments, which are for the well-being and flourishing of creation. And she has not looked back to reconsider her ways. She is so enthralled with sensuality and lust that she cares not about how it will lead to her own destruction. And it is not so much that she doesn't care and just wants to do her own thing and live her own life the way she wants. She is completely unaware of it. She wanders in moral darkness and is completely oblivious that she is lost and unable to find her way. The end of verse 6 says, Her roads are unstable, yet she is not aware of it. The metaphor that her roads are unstable refers to her path as being one with no distinct direction. Her roads, they shift and change. She staggers aimlessly along it. In practical terms, the metaphor suggests that due to her lust and wicked behavior, that her life is precarious and unpredictable, filled with unforeseen trouble and hardship lurking around every corner. On top of that, the woman is not even aware that she is stumbling through life and roaming about like a beggar with no home. By focusing on pleasure and seduction, she does not perceive or understand the disastrous course her life is on. Her life may be in turmoil and utterly dysfunctional, but she is oblivious and does not recognize this fact. She proceeds in ignorance on the unstable road she is traveling down, not thinking for one second where she will wind up at the end of it. Due to her foolish abandonment of Yahweh and his instruction, her inner conscience is corrupted, and she can no longer discern between right and wrong. Her moral compass is spinning in circles, and she has no bearing on where she's going. Thus, 
she strays onto the road of moral depravity and is stumbling straight toward her death and the grave. In order to illustrate this section of Proverbs, there is an Old Testament record that superbly captures the essence of what Proverbs is warning us about. The story begins with a guy named Joseph, who was the second youngest son of the patriarch Jacob. As the story goes, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son and was given preferential treatment by him. In addition, one day Joseph had a dream that depicted his brothers bowing down to him and serving him. Well, needless to say, this made his brothers very angry at him, to the point that they decided that they wanted to kill him. And so they kidnapped him, and eventually they decided to sell him into slavery to a group of merchants who were headed to Egypt. And that is how Joseph ended up in Egypt. Now, we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39 with what happened to Joseph from that point on. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the hand of the Ishmaelites that had brought him down there. But Yahweh was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that Yahweh was with him, and that Yahweh made all that he did prosper in his hand. Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he attended him. And Potiphar made him overseer over his house, and put all that he had into his hand. It came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of Yahweh was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. Joseph was well built and handsome. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he's put all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater in this household than I am, and he has not kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her to be with her. Okay, let's step back for a second. Basically, Potiphar's wife found Joseph attractive and began to lust after him and desire him. And so she began to try and seduce him to lie with her, that is to have sex with her. The scripture says that she spoke to him day after day trying to entice him. I bet you she used every line in the book to appeal to him. Her words were probably dripping with honey and smoother than the finest oil. I can imagine her desperately trying to flatter him and pet his ego so that he would agree to her wishes. Let's keep reading and see how Joseph responded to this woman who was essentially throwing herself at him and begging him to sleep with her. In Genesis 39:11, it goes on to say, so it came to pass on a certain day when he went into the house to do his work and there were none of the men of the house inside that she grabbed him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and ran outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had run outside, she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, 
Behold, he has brought in a Hebrew to mock us. Uh, He came to me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment by me and ran outside. She laid up his garment by her until his master came home. She spoke to him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought to us came to me to mock me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment with me and ran outside. It came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife that she spoke to him, saying, This is what your servant did to me, that his wrath was kindled. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. Joseph quickly learned that Potiphar's wife was a snake. She was as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. When Joseph didn't do what she wanted, she turned on him and falsely accused him before her husband, saying that Joseph had forced himself on her. What this seems to indicate is that Potiphar's wife was simply looking to use Joseph for her own sexual pleasure. And when she was done with him, then she would throw him away like next day's garbage. While resisting Potiphar's wife was the right thing to do, Joseph ended up being punished because of it. While it might seem like Joseph was the loser in this story, the scriptures go on to record how Yahweh gave Joseph revelation while he was in prison about a dream of Pharaoh, and how Yahweh gave Joseph revelation about Pharaoh's dream, and gave him favor in Pharaoh's eyes, so that he was placed as second in command over the entire Egyptian empire. The core message that we should take away from this section of Proverbs and the story of Joseph in Egypt is that we must be alert and recognize those who are trying to seduce us or others. Seduction is a type of manipulation where the seducer attempts to exploit someone by misleading and persuading them to be disloyal or disobedient, usually through deception, such as making false promises. All the while the seducer is only interested in themselves and taking advantage of others for their own benefit. In the case of Joseph, Potiphar's wife was one of these dangerous women who probably made grandiose promises to Joseph like that their lovemaking would be the most incredible experience he had ever had or that she would give herself to him fully and in every way he wanted and that her husband would never find out. It is dangerous men and women who make these sort of promises who we need to watch out for and be aware of. They will be as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a two-edged sword. If we're not careful, we could find ourselves in their trap and suffering the consequences that accompany joining them on their unstable roads that lead to death. This is the wisdom of the proverb. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Words of Wisdom podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be so appreciative if you would share this podcast with your friends. And if you have been blessed by this work, please consider supporting the podcast by clicking on the donation link in the description.